Okay, for the message, you guys get to hear from me all the time. You're going to get to hear from me a little bit today, but you're also going to get to hear some from Shiloh. So, so Shiloh, I'm going to pray for us, and then you can be comfortable for a few minutes. Okay. Thank you. Father, thank you for this time together, and um, Lord, it is such a joy to be able to stand before your people and share about the excellencies and the glories and the greatness of our God in worship and how we fit into that. And so, Lord, Shiloh and I just ask for grace. Um, Lord, we ask for the grace on my part to be able to really speak about how this is all about you as Neil prayed. And then just give Shiloh the grace to, to just answer that question, so what about us? And Lord, all of this is for you today. Lord, we just ask you to bless us, to anoint us freshly. And I pray for the ears and the hearts of every listener that um, God will be able to really receive your word with great gladness. And um, God, just come up into a higher place, a deeper place with you in worship in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Okay, so today um, we're, we're going to be talking about worship. Now, here's why we're, we're talking about worship. Um, as most of you know, we have a new mission statement and a vision statement as a church. We also have seven core values, and what we've, what we've done is we've said, okay, Lord, we are going, we, way back we said, we're going to discern what your heart is for this body. Because, I mean, as much as I love all of us, we are people, and we will find a rut in the road and just walk in it forever without a fresh word from the Lord, without a fresh vision. And so we, we spent a lot of time doing that. I mean, like literally eight months just discerning the heart of God and saying, God, God where will we go? What do we do? And so we came up with the vision statement, the mission statement, and the core values. And I've already preached about one of the core values, well, two of the core values, actually. Prayer, that we will be a house of prayer. That's what we're called to be. So we are diving, Adam, you'll love this, we are just taking the plunge into worship in, or prayer in so many different forms as a body. And I'm excited for the prayer journey. We're also taking a discipleship journey, and we're real clear about that, that God would have us grow up and be like green olive trees in the house of the Lord. I mean, you know, I mean, hey, the church in this age, we're going to rise up into it. Today we're talking about worship. So let me tell you what our mission statement says about worship. It says, and by the way, the title of the sermon is It's All About Him, So What About You? I had an alternate title but that I didn't use because it didn't sound as nice, but uh, it's fun to hear it. So the, uh, the alternate title was Get Over Yourself and Come to Me. I felt like the other one looked better in print, though. Okay, so anyway. Um, so our, our mission statement says this about worship. At KPC, our mission is to deeply experience the love and the presence of God in worship. Okay, why is worship such a big deal? Well, for one thing, it's all over Scripture. Another thing is this. Back in 1961, when this church was being founded, this church was not even a charismatic church, okay? I mean, so in other words, the Holy Spirit, you know, we like the language of the Holy Spirit. We love reading about the Holy Spirit, but, you know, we got to keep a little distance. Um, as, as, as a charismatic pastor friend of mine said one time, in some churches, it's like when the Holy Spirit shows up, He's welcome, but He needs to sit in the back row, put on a visitor badge, and keep quiet, you know? So this is kind of back in those days, you know, before the Spirit of God fell in this church. Even then, our forefathers prophetically caught a word about worship. And, and what they put in writing from day one is that worship at, K, at Kempsville Presbyterian Church, it will be the seed out of which everything will grow. That's, that's amazing. 
That's amazing. And so we're going to talk about worship today. Now, here's the thing about worship, just as we get started. Worship is not just something that happens 40 minutes on a Sunday morning when we come together. Um, worship is not just something like an event that, that, like Dana talked about, when we have a great worship concert or something like that. Um, worship is something that we do all day long. Now, let me just identify the we. When I say the we, I'm talking about every human being on the planet worships 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't know if you know that or not, but non-believers, non-Christians, people who are as lost to God as you can imagine, they are worshipers. Every human being is a worshiper whether they know it or not. Because you see, it is in our nature to adore, to devote ourselves to something or someone. And you can think of anybody in your life and in your world, they are worshiping something. If they are human, it's creative design. This is who we are. We are worshipers. So the question today is, well, what is it and who is it that we are worshiping? That's a question right off the bat. Now, the Bible clearly states that God is the only one who is worthy of our worship, okay? Now, that comes in and defines this thing very quickly. God is the only one that we are to live for, and He is the only one that we, are, that we are to devote and give ourselves completely to. He is the only one when it comes to worship. Anything else, anyone else, cause, idea, whatever, is a waste of time. It is a waste of worship. Now, we find this in Scripture everywhere, okay? Deep in the Old Testament, we find it. Now, I could have gone deeper than this, but I pulled one that was very familiar to all of us. Here's what God says to us in Exodus 20. Does Exodus 20 sound familiar to anybody? Yeah, Ten Commandments, okay? Guess what commandment number one is? This is God speaking to His people. I am the Lord your God. Okay, I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. Right there, early in the beginning, He's the only one. Jesus, okay, jump you know, take that big jump in, in, uh, throughout the Bible, land in the New Testament. You know what we find Jesus saying just before he begins his ministry, before he does one thing that, that, that he is noted for in the desert, with, uh, in, in the presence of the devil, actually, Jesus gives instructions on worship. Luke 4, 8, listen to what he says. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So what's the point? The point is this. True worship, true worship is to God. True worship is for God. True worship is about God. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. God bless you. So today we're going to deal with only one issue. The issue I am going to deal with during my, my brief time with you is why is God worthy of our worship? Okay, that, that's a huge statement. The only one, come on, no one else, no, why else? Well, here we go, we're going to deal with that. Why is God alone the, uh, the only one? Now, again, we could look all over Scripture for this because the answer is everywhere in every book, probably on every page of Scripture almost. Um, but I'm only going to deal with four specific passages. I'm going to start with Psalm 104 and Psalm 105. Okay, we're going to put these together and get ready for some reasons to worship God, all right? Psalm 104 begins this way. The psalmist writes, and he says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. 
Okay, now we read that, and it sounds like kind of a, you know, innocuous, kind of a simple, simple statement. But what he is saying is, look, everything that I am, my soul, okay, that is everything that makes me who I am, worships and praises the Lord. So he gives us this definitive statement, okay? It's almost like the finish line. The finish line is, praise the Lord, O my soul. And then what happens from Psalm 104 and Psalm 105 is he gives us 10,000 reasons, it feels like, for us to worship God. Just reason. I know, I use it from your set. Isn't that great? But he gives us reason after reason after reason after reason why God is the only one that is to be worshiped. And, and I, I, it's not, you know, it, it doesn't come out... Um, you know, like a, like a sentence that he is what he's doing, like here's specific, directionally is what I'm doing. But when you read the passage, what the psalmist is doing is he is literally looking in every single direction he can think of to try and find reasons to worship God. So we begin in verse 2, and he says this, when I look up, I have a reason to worship God, okay? Looking up, when I look just at God himself, forget about everything on the earth, You know, forget about everything in the past, everything in the future, everything rolling around in here. But when I look at God himself, all I can do is worship. Why? Because, he says, he covers himself with light. Like a king puts on a garment. The psalmist says, when I get a glimpse of God, when I behold God, what I see is light. I see radiance. I see brilliance. I see purity, majesty, honor. I don't see any trace of darkness. I don't see anything hidden. One look at God causes this to happen. Praise the Lord, O my soul. In verses 3 through 10, the psalmist now begins to look around. And he says, when I look at the world God made, just the world, okay? Forget the stuff moving around in the world for a minute. Forget the things growing up in the world. When I just look at the world itself, my jaw drops, my heart melts, mountains, valleys, streams, oceans, clouds, wind, God's creation is absolutely breathtaking. It's the most beautiful thing I've seen, he's saying here. And it's not just that God made it, but everything God has made stays within its boundaries. I don't, I don't know. I think it's probably me because I think on a higher level than most people. But have you ever noticed that the Blue Ridge Mountain has never moved from where God put it? You know? The Atlantic Ocean is still right over there. I, everything God has, has made is beautiful, but it stays within its boundaries. And he goes on to say it obeys his commands. It all obeys his commands. Um, verses 11 and 12, 7 through 18, 20 through 21, when I look at the creatures in the world, I, I, I'm astounded, says the writer. God, you made them, all the living creatures. Okay, now, just to, be, just to be very clear, we're talking about the ones that hop, you know, that roam about, that flap about, that swim. I, I look at all of these things that you made, and I'm astounded. And every one of them looks to you. Every creature looks to you for food, for shelter, for direction, for life, the variety, the wisdom, verse uh, 24 of their design. Again, it's mind-blowing. So this is, again, part of that look around. He He even throws in plants in verses 14 through 16. Then there are the plants you created. All of these things, they grow up at your command, and they serve as food for all of the living creatures. Verses 33 and through 34, all of this, as I look up and as I look around, 
all of this undoes me. I am in awe of you. The psalmist ends by saying, I will sing to you as long as I live. I will praise you with my last breath. I rejoice in God. Wow, one psalm and we got all of that. Reason after reason after reason to worship God. So Psalm 104 is sending us a very clear message about who God is and about why He deserves our worship. And it's simple because no one else and nothing else can do what God has done. He has standalone uniqueness, awesomeness, and power. And then Psalm 105 comes along, slides into the picture, and we discover another reason to praise God, okay? Looking up, whoa, light, brilliance. Looking around, God, what you have done, what you have made. But then in Psalm 105, basically the psalmist is looking into a mirror. God, when I look at me, when I look at them, I have a a whole nother reason to worship. Look at what God has done for us. Look at the wonderful acts that God has performed on on our behalf. And some of it comes from Psalm 104. You know, God created those things. Well, God created us. But see, you and I are different in that we've been created in God's image. God has made us. God has provided for us. God, God does this miraculously and practically. But Psalm 105 is sending us another message, and it's saying, look, when you look at creation and all the created things and all the, create, uh, all the creatures, realize this about yourself. Realize this about the people that you share the world with. God, as good as He has been to creation, and I would submit to you today that He has been astoundingly amazing toward creation, but God has been even better to you and me than he has to all of creation. When it comes to mankind, God has loved us on a deeper level. Verse 8 in Psalm 105, God has made promises to you and I. He's made covenants with us. He's he's, he's brought us into commands. He's promised blessing. Psalm uh, 105.8 says he's always kept those promises toward you and I. We relate to God. I mean, conversationally, relationally, as nothing else in creation does, God has promised to us and God has been faithful. And when you want to talk about the faithfulness, the time limit, the expiration on that faithfulness, verse 9, he he keeps his word. He's been faithful to a thousand generations. And that's the psalmist's way of saying, look, as long as there are people walking on this planet, the goodness of God will just be poured out on mankind. And even personally, verses 10 through 45, he he exalts his people as well. He exalts individuals, you know. He raises people up all over the place all the time. And we get a few examples. Abraham, Moses, Moses, I said Moses, Moses, Joseph. So again, why do we praise God alone? Because God is good because God is love, because He is majesty, He is power. Nothing, nobody else anywhere ever comes close to God. So again, worshiping anything else, anyone else, is a waste of worship. It is a waste of our lives. It is ridiculous. That's 
really the heart of Psalm 104 and 105. And that's why when you look throughout the Psalms, you, you see the psalmist, and he's like he's going crazy on paper. You know, Psalm 89, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. The heavens, God, they praise your wonders. Who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? Rhetorical question, answer is nobody, nothing. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. And if we stopped right there, you know, we've got maybe not 10,000, but we are well on the way to 10,000 reasons to worship our God. But then when we jump into the New Testament, I want to give you one person who, has, who gives us another reason to worship, okay? Someone else who has written in the New Testament. And believe it or not, this time it's not Paul. It's not Peter. It's actually the disciple John. John comes along, and in John chapter 1, he's reflecting back on everything that we've talked about. You know, when you open John 1, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and uh, through Him everything was made that has been made. So he goes on to talk about some of the themes that we read in Psalm 104 and 105, and then John very subtly introduces something that's very important that really impacts our worship, and that something else is that we were sinners, that we are the ones who rejected God. God did everything that Psalm 104 talks about, Psalm 105 talks about. So good it's beyond belief. Christmas every day, spiritually speaking, what does mankind do? Thank God, we'll find our own way. God will do our own thing. We reject God. We bring darkness. We bring death into the world. But John is very quick to remind us in chapter 1 that when we blew it, when we wrecked it, God pursued us. He sent Jesus Christ to save us. And just listen to what John says. He says, um, Jesus, the living Word of God, gave life to everything that was created and brought light to everyone. His light, get this, shines in the darkness. Now, is, is he talking about nighttime? Well, sure, I guess he is. But he's talking about the darkness of sin. And he says, the darkness can never extinguish the light of Jesus Christ. Christ. Oh my gosh. Man. And, and so reading on verses 11 through 13, so to all who believe in Him, Jesus, and accept Him, He does what? He makes them into children of God. He came full of unfailing love and faithfulness in 16 through 17 from His abundance, Jesus. We have all received one gracious spiritual, physical, emotional, throw whatever kind of blessing you can think of. We, we, have seen, we, we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, and the law was good. But God's unfailing love and His faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. My final passage is this one. In 1 John 1, John pulls all of this together, and now after looking up, looking around, looking in the mirror, and then kind of looking back at our sin history, John now just looks at Jesus from every possible angle in John 1. And he says this, uh, 1 John 1, We proclaim to you Jesus, the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard, whom we have seen, who we have touched with our hands. Okay, now here's what John is doing. Okay, Shalom, you're going to be Jesus for a minute. John is saying, look, when it comes to Jesus... 
I'm not telling you a story I heard from somebody else, okay? This isn't something that was passed down to me from my forefathers that I read in a scroll. John is saying, listen, when it comes to Jesus, I knew the man, okay? I walked with the man. I listened to him, okay? I saw him. I touched him. So John is going, look, I have looked Jesus over from every possible angle in every, every moment, okay? Plenty of opportunities to blow it, to fail us. I have looked Jesus over from every possible angle, and we proclaim to you, those of us who knew him, we proclaim to you, he is the word of life. He is the one. We testify, we proclaim that he is the one who is eternal life. And we're telling you this for a reason, okay? Really important in 1 John 1. John is saying, I tell all of you this for a reason, so that you... Okay, let me just get my you, let me me complete my you here. You, okay, so that you may have fellowship with us. What is John talking about with fellowship? John is talking about relationship with the Father. John is talking about entering into worship. And just in case you think, oh, he's stretching it, listen to this. He says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The Spirit is clearly implied here. And we write all of these things so that you might enter into this fellowship and that you might have joy and that this joy may be complete. This is why we worship God. This is the answer to the question. Why do we worship God? Why do we worship God alone? Well, here you go. Here you have it. Um, And the other question that springs off of this is, how could we worship anything or anyone else in light of who He is and what He's done? So, it's all about Him. Shiloh, why don't you talk about us a little bit? So, preface, I am not a public speaker, so this is absolutely terrifying for me, but it's going to be fun. So... (laughs) All right, so like Steve said, I'm going to talk to you guys actually from a different angle of worship. He kind of hit on what is worship, why we worship, and who we worship. And I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about making that a permanent stance that you live in. Um, So I don't know how many of you guys know this, but I spent two weeks at Bethel um, Church in Redding, California this summer, um, and I attended, it's called Worship University, and it's pretty much the coolest thing because they have 800, um, hey dad, they have 800 people from all across, I mean the world. I think Ellie and I might have met one or two people from the United States. I mean, these people are from everywhere, um, and they're worship leaders, uh, musicians, singers, all of that. I mean, they come into one place, and we kind of hit it hard um, for two weeks. Um, The way that they did it was we would go in, and we had lectures all day. So I don't know how many people are ADD, but I am. (laughs) So sitting still for that long was pretty brutal. Um, (laughs) So on day five, it was Friday, Ellie and I were super excited um, because our favorite worship leader, collectively, was leading worship. And I don't know who knows Jonathan, David, and Melissa Helzer. Anybody? Well, yes, for real. Um, (laughs) They are the most humble people you will ever meet or see. Um, They're just amazing. So anyway, they were leading worship, so we kind of made a pact that we were going to go in early that day and we were going to worship. So we did. We got there, and um, when we arrived, everybody had already kind of gone up to the front. And another fun fact about me is I'm super introverted. Shocker. So being around groups of people 
it's really stressful. <laughs> so we went up to the front, and both of us, I think, felt pretty uncomfortable in that moment. Um, there were tons of people. And so Melissa gets up, and she starts um, telling us a prophetic moment that happened in her life with her son. And it was super awesome. I mean, it was the most... Like, you just wanted to jump and scream after <laughs> she told us. And when you've got that many people in the room with the same passion and the same heart, um, it's pretty intense. So there was no music or anything, and we're kind of standing there. Everybody's getting pumped, and we're like, yeah, let's do this. Um, so they play the first chord of the song, and I know what song it was because it happened to be my favorite song. Um, and it starts with, um, you unravel me with a melody, you surround me with a song. And it's just like the most, it's just an amazing song. It's called No Longer a Slave. You should listen to it. Um, anyway, so they started that. And so immediately, I'm super pumped. I'm like, yes, I know this one. This is going to be awesome. Um, well, they start singing. And all of a sudden, I find myself going to move my mouth and nothing's happening, which is really awkward when you're standing there and you try to sing and you're like, oh, well, I guess it's not happening today. So immediately, I go to the place of thinking I'm dying. <laughs> like I was like, I'm definitely on my way out right now. Ask Ellie. I was sitting there, I was like, oh my goodness. So anyway, <laughs> so I'm kind of, I'm asking the Lord in that moment, well, I know this is you, but I'm super confused because I'm supposed to be worshiping and I really want to worship you in this moment. And so he did what he does, and he was real quiet, <laughs> and he made me sit there, and I, I stood there in the middle of all of these people that are just, for the lack of a better example, they're worshiping like their faces off. I mean, they're like going in, and I'm just kind of like, hey, guys, how's it going? Um, so the Lord, after, I think it was like the second song or something like that, I was standing there silent, and I just asked the Lord, I was like, okay, you got me. I'm being still. What do you have to, like, what is going on? And I don't know about you, but my favorite thing in the world is the way that the Lord talks to me. Like, we have the funnest relationship where it's kind of, I mean, it's father, but it's friend. So sometimes he'll just put me in my place and be like, shh, like, just be quiet. They got this. And so that was kind of what he said to me. And so I felt like he told me to be quiet, and I was like, well, that hurts my feelings. I want to worship you. And so basically, from that moment, um, I audibly heard him say, Shiloh, I know that you can worship with your voice, and I know that you can worship with an instrument, but in this moment, I need you to worship with your heart. And so, like, I mean, wow. <laughs> like, what do you even, I mean, I just stood there, and I was like, huh all right, <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Because as a worship leader and as a worshiper, um, the way that I identified worship was always through music or through a song or something like that where I would just know this is how I enter into your presence. So for me to have to sit there and know that for the remainder of this time, I have to be still and I have to be quiet, which is not something I'm good at. So it was just it was one of those historical moments with the Lord where it just changes you and it shifts you into a new place. Um, so 
uh, I continued to process with the Lord, but I'm going to pause on that thought first, and then we'll go back around. Um, one of the things that I felt like the Lord was speaking to me to speak to you guys was on focusing on our heart a little bit more and stepping away from the 45 minutes that we do on Sunday morning. Um, I know Steve said that in the beginning. <laughs> he said that we were going to kind of step out of that. So for me, it's looking at that, I feel like the church as a whole, um, you know, in the United States, this church, everybody, we often put a box around what we see as worship, and then we put it on its little shelf, and then we move on. And so what I feel like the Lord is kind of telling us is, hey, guys, I want you to turn your lives and your hearts towards me every single day, not just one day a week, and not just for 45 minutes, because that's just a moment. And there are so many moments that we live throughout the week. So that's what I want to talk to you guys a little bit about. And I have a few scriptures that talk about your heart. <laughs> so in Psalm 103, he was, he was pulling out some of these scriptures, but Psalm 103.1 says, um, let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart, praise his holy name. And then Psalm 86.12 says, with all my heart, I praise you, O Lord my God. I will give glory to your name forever. So, I mean, you look at that and you can kind of pull, I mean, it's saying, um, with all that I am, I praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I praise his holy name. Um, and so just even in those verses, just kind of tackling that, like how do I practically give you all that I have? Because most of us, if we're being honest, if we knew how to do that, we would. But it's kind of a hard concept to grab onto. Um, so Steve actually pointed out a great <laughs> example as we were processing through this about Cain and Abel um, and how Cain um, gave a sacrifice, and the Lord rejected it, how Abel gave a sacrifice, and the Lord celebrated it, and how there was that, that, that tension there um, <laughs> between uh, the two of them, and then how it ended in Cain killing his brother. And so it's kind of like you look at that, why was Abel's sacrifice accepted by the Lord? It's because the Lord saw his heart because he gave everything that he was in that moment, he gave everything that he had. He gave the best of the best. So that should inspire us alone to never give him less, to always give him everything that we have. So um, back to the, the story in that moment, um, as I was processing with the Lord, I, I didn't fully and completely understand what he was getting at. <laughs> like, I knew the concept. I mean, I'm guilty of saying it. You know, we need to live a lifestyle of worship. What, do, what does that look like, you know? And so I asked him, I was like, okay, Father, I hear you, but I need you to show me. And so um, there were a couple people that he just brought to mind, or like immediately. And two of them were my parents, actually. <laughs> anyway, my parents, if you guys know them, they're amazing. Like, I'm just so blessed to have them in my life. Um, but my mom specifically, he showed me this picture of her, and he said, okay, how does your mom worship me? And she volunteers and she serves. So the easy answer in that is she volunteers and she serves. <laughs> but I knew that the Lord was kind of hitting at something a little deeper than that. And so 
all of a sudden, I saw all these faces in my mind of all these kids that I had totally forgotten about from the past, where my mom had reached out intentionally, pulled them out, pushed them forward, and then let them go. And it was amazing when you see that, when you can really get perspective. I felt like the Lord in that moment said, Shiloh, that was when your mom was worshiping because she was showing my true character. She was showing who I am to them. She was saying, hey, you're worthy. Hey, you're smart and you're beautiful and you are, you're good enough. You know, that's what the Lord says to us. So it's like she was operating in his nature in that moment. Her heart was connected to his. That was her worship. And I thought that was so amazing. And, and you show me my dad and how my dad is such an encourager. If you know him, he'll just walk up to you and be like, hey, I'm your number one fan. Like, I love that about him. I learned that from him. And so seeing that, you know, the Lord's like, that is when I'm fully connected to your dad. Sharon Parker, I'm going to call you out. <laughs> she comes into worship team practice. And it's always the most inspiring thing because we don't have to do anything. And that woman starts worshiping. I mean, it'll be quiet or we'll be arguing. And she's over there like, glory. <laughs> and it's amazing, you know, but the Lord kind of showed me, hey, Shiloh, it's not what you do. It's not what you produce. And it's not even that moment that you surrender yourself to me. It's the continuation of your life. It's stepping into that place where you're mirroring my heart for you to everybody else. Because that's what it's about, you know? When we're, when we're um, operating in his nature, which is love, when we're operating in love, I mean, nothing can go wrong. So anyway, so what I wanted to challenge you guys to do, I wanted to challenge you guys to take a different look at worship as you continue on and to start being intentional to call out the worshiper and the people that you know. Because there are those um, that feel a little bit shamed when we talk about worship because they don't connect in that musical place. So they feel like, oh, this message isn't for me, or I, I don't know how to do this, or I just don't like music, which is interesting, but hey. So people don't like music, sure. Um, <laughs> so this is supposed to serve as an encouragement. If that's you, I mean, I know a few people, it's my favorite thing when somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I don't connect in worship, because it challenges my heart, and it reminds me, okay, so you're not connecting. How can I, how can I pray into that? Like, what does the Lord have to say about that? And so, anyway, I want to encourage you guys to, over the next couple weeks, to really be intentional to see each other's hearts and to call out that worshiper in everybody that you know and you see, because it changes things. Because if we were all to walk in on a Sunday morning, and we did that all week long, it would be explosive before anything began. Not because you all of a sudden have this perspective change and you love music and you love to worship. No, it's because your spirit recognizes it and it comes alive in that moment. I get super excited about it. Anyway, <laughs> so, I, you know, calling out life in each other, calling out the worshiper in each other. <laughs> and this is the last thought that I have. When we can do that and when we can be true to ourselves and true to the Father and know who we are, because I truly believe 99% of worship is knowing who you are through him, knowing your heart through him, knowing that he's a good father, knowing his nature, and then operating in his nature. That's amazing. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So when we do that and we walk into a setting like this with a bunch of our family and believers, um, our preference takes a back seat. 
It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter if you like fast or slow or hymns or anything because they're all glorifying and honoring the Lord. So your heart no longer becomes offended with those things. You know what I mean? So I just want to challenge you guys because I'm going to be done now <laughs> um, to really step into that, to step into the moment um, where you recognize that it's a little bit, well, it's, it's actually has nothing to do with Sunday morning. And to step into the every single day and the choices that we make to be grateful and to be honoring and to be loving to every single person we meet so that when we come into this place and we stand in this moment, we're unshakable. This, this becomes a tight-knit family that we come into worship and we just seek after the Lord so hard that literally no music, there could be somebody playing a kazoo and you'll be stoked. You'll be like, that's awesome. So anyway, so I just want to challenge you guys in that. Amen. Tag your it. Good job. Good job. Great job. I, I just thought it was so important today for us to hear from um, Shiloh, who, who really together with her team leads us in worship every week. So, look, it's a pretty simple concept, everything that we're talking about, that God and God alone is the one we worship. It's all about Him. And we, we really do when it comes to worship. The, the, the key to taking off, ascending, experiencing His presence so often is getting over ourselves. And so I just pray that God will give us the grace to do that as a body. One of the things that, I don't know if you remember this or not, but you said Bill Johnson said, and I just went, wow. But it's that our preferences kill presence. Our, our preferences can really kill the, 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 the presence of God among us. And I think it's so true that often in worship, it is so easy for us to put ourselves in front of God. We're actually the ones in the way. Whether it's, oh, here's what I did this last week. I'm so ashamed. I'm unworthy to raise my eyes. Get over that, you know. Man, God got over that. He used the cross to get over that, so you're good there, okay? But I think we also do that quite often with our presence. And listen, um, you know, we all do this. Um, you know, some of us love hymns. Some of us love praise and worship. Some of us love spiritual songs. And here's usually how that works. The, the reason we gravitate to one or, one or others of those things is typically when, when either we came to life in Christ or we were most alive in Christ, whatever worship form was hot at that moment is usually right where we stick. Yeah. It's just true, you know? And, and so the Lord has called us uh, above and beyond that. And I think one of the neat things about worship is that when you look at it historically, worship never stays the same. I don't know if you've ever done that historically, but the nature of worship, now not the substance of worship, but God being the one we worship, Scripture's involved, it's about singing, pouring out, that always stays the same, right? But the forms and the styles of worship historically always change, you know? Gregorian chants, they were doing those for a while, I don't know any of the words, so, you know, and then somebody came along and introduced hymns, you know? And I'll tell you one thing, the Gregorian chant crowd was probably so offended with this hymn crowd. What are these kids doing today? Are they crazy doing these hymns? And then a little while later, you know, the hymns get freshened up a little bit, and the people who liked the hymns before can't believe the new hymn people. And then uh, scripture songs come in, you know, like a tree, like a tree, I'm like a green olive tree. And the Ferris Lord Jesus crowd is going, what are these kids doing? Are they crazy? So look, the point is this, I believe God has, God has built it I really believe by the Spirit that the forms of worship will always change and always grow. Why? 
so we can't get static ourselves, so that we grow, so that we have to listen to the Spirit and bend with the different movements of the Spirit. So having said that, we are a multi-generational church. I'll say what I've said before. We are going to honor various styles of worship. That's not going to change. Um, the choir's not going anywhere. We're not going to stop doing hymns like last week was very hymn-heavy. This week, I don't think there were any at all. But we're going to continue to pull from, from, from many different um, styles of worship. That's just who we are as part of KPC. We're going to keep them biblical. We're going to keep them God-focused. But we have the same commitment. Now, what we are going to do that's going to be a little different, okay? I'm going to do something that is an abomination in the charismatic church, okay? We are going to introduce something into, charis- into our charismatic worship. Oh, get ready for this one, Shiloh, because I'm going to say it. We are actually going to introduce some structure into our… I know, did you hear the gasp? I heard the gasp. But… Because, listen, he- here's one thing that's really, really different about charismatic and traditional churches, <laughs> and I just say this having been in both. In traditional churches, so often what you see is a whole lot of structure. And, and sometimes a whole lot of control. You know, we got to keep it tight so we can know what's coming next. And we, you know, we know what the product's going to be like before we even do it. So there's a lot, a lot of structure. Well, sometimes in the charismatic church, what we do is, is we react to that and we think, forget structure. We just want to have spontaneity. So anything goes, you know, so just because structure's evil. But listen, I want to tell you this. Structure and freedom are not opposites. They are not enemies. And and here's a great example, okay? We have six children, okay? If Jane said, all right, kids, go out and play in the front yard for a while, which would be funny because my oldest son is 22 years old. uh, uh, She's 20. But anyway, you know, if we said, go out and play in the front yard, and and we live on a busy street, okay? We don't really. But if we did, we lived on a really busy street. She said, go out and play in the front yard. If we did not have a fence and our children were little, we'd be in trouble. Talking kids in the roads, kids across the street, kids down the block. And because Noah's one of my children, he's not in the room, he would probably not have any clothes on, okay? Because that, that brother, that brother just, but that's what happens without boundaries. We go all over the place. There's confusion. That's what Paul's talking about a lot, believe it or not. In 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is we need some boundaries. But listen to this. When you have a fence around the yard, you can say to your children, go out and play. Enjoy every space in the yard. Be as free as you want to be, and there's absolute safety and there's absolute joy. So we're going we're gonna to introduce a little structure uh, through simplicity. The service is going to change a little bit going forward. Here's what we're going to do. Right now, and I'll use the stairs as an example just because why not? Let's have fun. Okay. We have a welcome now, and then we have worship. And then in worship, we get words sometimes, like we did today. And by the way, all the words were amazing today. But we get a word, we get a word, we get a word. Sometimes the words are right on target. They're amazing. Sometimes they wander, you know, because we're prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, you know. So we, we get words. And, and then we typically have, you know, like a, a prayer, then a kid release. Then we do some announcements. Uh, what am I forgetting? Meet and greet. Meet and greet. And then we do an offering. And then we do a message, and then usually the service ends. Well, here's what the Lord's been showing me. If your goal is really worship, and if your goal is really to minister, that ain't going to work. So here's what we're going to do going forward. We'll start off the same with, wor- with a welcome, I'm sure, because we're just friendly people. <laughs> so we'll have a welcome, and then we're going to go into worship. And the worship now is going to be uninterrupted. It's going to be an uninterrupted worship set, and we are going to worship all the way through with music. 
marinate in the Lord's presence, soak up. I mean, it's going to be fun. So we're going to, you're just going to soak that up. Now, don't, don't fear. Don't fear yet, okay? Then we'll have a blip instead of like 14 things that we do in that spot. We'll have a blip where we cover a few things, do the offering. Then we're going to go straight into the Word. Now, then we come to the end of the service, and here's what I'm excited about. At the end of the service, we're going to target something like 11.15, 11.20. At that point, we have ministry time. Here's what ministry time looks like. We are going to seek to apply anything God does in worship and anything God does in the message. You will see people line the front for prayer. We're going to enter into prayer as a congregation. It's just going to be a time of ministry. Um, be warned, the Spirit of God may break out and do some things during that time. Why? Because we're making room for the Spirit to move. So in other words, we have so much in place right now that a lot of times we have to squeeze the Holy Spirit in. We just want to make room at the end, which, by the way, is a perfect time for words to come. Why? Because we've heard everything the Lord has to say that we have prepared, and now we're just here we're open, we're praying, worship's playing in the background, people are being prayed for. It is a beautiful time to hear words without the clock going or worrying about, golly, is the pastor going to get enough time to speak or all of that stuff is over. So it gives us time to hear those words, pray over those words, minister off of those words. So it is a very, very simple format of worship, and it's also just a beginning. I don't think that is going to be the end of it. But so that's what you have to look forward to in the days ahead. Uh, the other thing with words is this. We also have a responsibility to shepherd words, and we haven't been doing it real well. I mean, we do it sometimes a little bit. But one of the things will happen when you give a word coming up in the future, one thing that will happen between Monday and Wednesday is you'll get a call from one of the pastors. Now, you'll get a call of encouragement because we want to encourage like uh, uh, the words today were… Uh, Jerry, um, who, who, uh, Joe, and Jim. Yeah, so like for example, I, I, I'll call one of the J's since they're all J's, I guess. Um, I, I would call Joe and say, Joe, today you gave a beautiful word. Um, here's what you did well. Man, here's how that impacted the congregation. We want to stir and encourage the gift within you. But also, we're growing in this stuff. So we'll also bring a little bit of constructive uh, 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 correction too. Like, hey, you know what? You went from giving the word to kind of interpreting the word. Or, you know, before you gave the word, you gave 19 minutes of backstory. Just stuff like that that really helps us to land in a place of worship where the Spirit takes off because we want to see this body rise up as a prophetic presence. So we're going to be shepherding those words to really draw the gift out of you and also just so we can benefit from the richness of God, you know, whatever God would say and do among us. So, Shiloh, I think that's it. Are we done? Yeah, let's pray for him. And then we got to bring up, uh, who comes up next, Mark and that new guy that we need to get to know? Okay. So, Shiloh, will you pray and then I'll pray. So let's do that. Father God, I just thank you for today, and I thank you um, that we can come into this place and be with you in this time. And Father, I just pray that even right now you'll begin to call out the worshiper in each of us, God, that you'll begin to help us lay down offenses, God, that we would be able to step into this place of worship that we talked about today. Father, that it wouldn't be another sermon, that it would be a life change. Um, I know that I want that life change. So, Father, we just receive all that you have for us as a body, as a congregation, as brothers and sisters in you, Father. And I just thank you again for your goodness and for your faithfulness and for your mercy. Yes, Father, I agree. And, Lord, in Jesus' name, as a church, we just, we just set the Lord always before us. Yeah. 
Father, we, we lift you up, and we thank you that as, as we lift up the name of Jesus Christ, as uh, Moses lifted up the, the serpent in the wilderness, Lord, as the name of Jesus Christ is lifted up, he will draw all to himself. So, Father, would you draw us to you? Lord, would you help us to take our eyes off of all this other stuff that we could worship or we could worry about, which is another form of worship and just get consumed with? God, we, we want to be like the planets revolving around the sun when it comes to you, Lord God. So be our center, be our all in all. And Father, you have permission to just bring us to a place where we really are, as Jesus said to the woman at the well, we as a body are worshiping you in spirit and truth. And so we welcome your truth. And God, we definitely welcome your spirit. So just come and take us to a higher place. We love you, we adore you. This is all for you, Jesus, in Christ's name, amen. All right, we have someone we need to bring up at this point to end with. Um, Brian Cherry. Brian Cherry, to come the up front. here.